we are reminded that our father of the words of Job at the end of the book where he said to you, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now that encourages us tonight, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, sometimes it seems, it seems like it's in the minority, and it is, but it's also constantly growing. Sometimes it seems that uh, we're outnumbered, that we're being overwhelmed. Sometimes it seems that uh, everything is going contrary to your word and to your purposes, but the fact of the matter is it's not going contrary. You have a plan. You have a plan for the ages. You have a plan for the universe. Uh, your purpose will not be thwarted. You are the God who does all things. You don't do it the way we think you should do it. And as a result, we often find that uh, when you do your work, you do it strangely. Not the way that we would foresee it, not the way that we would plan it, not the way that a committee of ours would get together and scope it out. You work strangely, but you work. Uh, that means that you not only work strangely as we read the newspapers and we look at the affairs of the world and we look at our country and we wonder why things are the way they are, why certain individuals are so powerful, it, it's because you work strangely. Not the way that we would have anticipated. But what we cannot forget is that you're working all of the time. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways above our ways. And your thoughts above our thoughts. Even in our own lives, there are, there are times when we are confused and we wonder what is going on. And we, we can't make sense of our lives. And it seems like we're making no progress. It seems like we're just stuck. It seems like at times we're in reverse and we're backing up and going the wrong direction and we can't make sense of where we are and we cannot seem to find you. But all the time you were at work. Your eye is never off of us. Your hand has never been removed. We, we may be um, feeling alone, but we're not. You said you would never forsake us or leave us. There are times, Lord, when our lives are very, very dark, when we're walking through the valley of deepest darkness, and I know some guys here tonight are there, and they're not sure what to do next. We would pray for them tonight that you would give them wisdom. We would pray that you'd give them the mind of Christ. Not to try and figure it out for the next 90 days or the next six months, but just give them wisdom for the rest of this day. And then tomorrow when they get up, give them wisdom to get through lunch. And then at lunch, they're going to need wisdom to get through dinner. When we go through these hard times and these dark times, we wonder what is going on. But no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And even when you take us through the valley, you're taking us there for a reason. So for the guys that are here tonight that are in the valley, encourage their hearts. May they get as close to you as they can. May they keep their Bibles open. The enemy would try to get them frustrated so that they would close their Bibles. But may they keep it open, and may you give them teachable hearts. And may they pray in the midst of this hard time, Lord, show me what you want me to learn. Those are the times of slow growth, but as years go by, we look back and we see those times in the valley were the times of spectacular growth.
So all of us, Lord, we're dealing with different issues. We're dealing with different stuff. What we all have in common here tonight is that we all need you. We're all facing different things, different challenges, different things that scare us and keep us up at night. But don't let us forget you, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You have a plan for each of us. You have a purpose for each of us. You've started the work. You've gotten us this far, and you will finish the work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. So encourage us tonight as we open up your Bible. Give us what we need, precisely what we need. Somehow by your Spirit, you're, you're able to take the words of this living word and apply it to our hearts. It is a phenomenal thing when it happens. We trust you to work tonight and to do the work only you can do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are working our way through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. <clears throat> now, if you've been here uh, during this study, you know that we are working our way through slowly. We are making... Uh, uh, I, I, here's, we're going at a pace of about a quarter of an inch. I wouldn't measure this in miles per hour. I would measure it in quarter inches. And uh, we started in 610, maybe six, seven weeks ago. Uh, quarter of an inch here, quarter of an inch there. Tonight we're going to hone in. Um, we're, we're going to hone in on verse 13. And uh, my plan when I originally started this was to finish Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 tonight. But I'm not going to make it. So next week is spring break for you guys who just got in. I'll remind you we won't be meeting next week. And the kids won't be meeting or the wives or any of that stuff. So it's an off week next week. But we'll pick it up again. And we'll get back into Ephesians 6.10. And I'm thinking that by Christmas of 2014, <laughs> we should be uh, hitting the finish line. Won't be that long, but we're going to just keep working our way through it, quarter of an inch at a time. We're going to hone in on 13, but to get the context, we'll pick up at 10, verse 10 of chapter 6, Ephesians Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And as I begin this, if there's somebody back there somewhere who could find a bottle of water, I'm going to need it. I can just tell right now by my throat. So I don't know if Jason's back there or somebody. I see it. All right, man, thanks. That'd be great. Maybe a cheeseburger while you're up would be uh, a double-double, an in-and-out, if they finish construction. Thank you. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes, against the methods, against the strategies of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and so often we think our struggle is with people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, against the unseen drama that's being played out around us. And is there not a lot of drama being played out right now? My gosh. The whole stinking world is falling apart. Where do you find any stability? Do you find it in the financial markets? I'm, I'm, I ran into a guy yesterday at uh, the car wash. I get Mary's car washed every couple of years. And uh, it had all this mud and crud in the mats and everything. So I just took it in there. And then there's a Starbucks just down the road. So I had a book and I was going to go down there. And they said it'd be an hour. And there's a guy that lives in my area. And I, I'll run into him about once a year between Starbucks and uh, the car wash. And two years ago, we had a conversation for about an hour right there. And then I ran into him again yesterday. And he's a financial guy. And his car, anyway, we go to Starbucks. He, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing pretty well. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm not doing well. He said, these markets are killing me. So we talked for 45 minutes. Because, you see, there's so much instability in the financial markets. Fortunately, I mean, worldwide there is. Fortunately, in the United States, it's all under control, and things are moving and growing, and we're calm and secure. And Unfortunately, the Middle East has settled down. That's good. It's just out of control, is it not? It's just insane. Why is that? Oh, that's because of 12. Thanks. You're a good man, Bill. Thanks. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There are demonic forces that are stirring, stirring things up all over the world. They are counter to the plan and purposes of God. But they're just being used by God to set things up. All this unrest in the Middle East, all this, and all these nations are going crazy. And, you know, this is Muslim Brotherhood, and these guys are getting in control, and all this, and, and, and they surround Israel. Well, that sounds, to me, that sounds biblical to me. You see? They got oil. All those guys got oil. Israel has no oil. Now, how'd that come to be? Oh, it's just evolution. Plan of God. He's just working the plan. But there are these demonic bureaucrats under the leadership of Satan, the fallen angel. If you've been here, you know about this. Who are, uh, who are wise, but they are not intelligent. They are smart, but they have no discernment because they are fighting with everything they have, the purpose and plan of God. And if you love Christ, and if you're following Christ, they hate you as they hate Christ. So we've, we've spent some weeks in these three verses. Now, those three verses have got a lot of stuff in them. A lot of information, a lot of truth. Now we get to verse 13, and he says, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, someone said, whenever you see a therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Therefore is a conclusion. When you hear a preacher say, therefore, you're hoping, you're praying, this guy's going to actually conclude. It's not always true with a preacher. 
He might be good for another 30, 40 minutes after the therefore. But usually when someone says therefore, that's a summary statement. They are summarizing, uh, they are bringing to a conclusion uh, the points that they have just previously made. So when you get to 13, Paul says, therefore, therefore what? Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and, and having done everything to stand firm. So in other words, when you, when you look at this and put together the grammar and you put together the thought process, verses 10, 11, and 12, be strong in the Lord, put on the full armor of God, you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic bureaucracy. Why is he telling, all, telling us all this? Verse 13, here's why. So that you can take up the full armor of God. Watch this, here's the purpose. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day. That's why I've given you the, the three previous verses. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day and that you will be able to stand firm. Three times there, he says stand firm. In verse 11, at the end of 13, and at the beginning of 14. He's trying to make a point. He wants us to stand firm. Because we're in battle, and we're in warfare, and we are going to be attacked, and the battle never ends. So this week, um, I'm reading, uh, you know, I've got my Bible calendar I've been reading for years. It takes me through the Bible in a year. And uh, I just follow the calendar, and it's kind of beat up, but there it is, and I just read my verses, you know, follow the plan. Takes me through the Old Testament once, Psalms and Proverbs twice in a year, the New Testament twice. I'm just reading through it. And so I get to first, and, and you know, I don't always do it exactly the way it's supposed to be done, because sometimes I'll be reading a section, and I'll get on something, and I'll just stop, because it, it has a lot of uh, application to where I am, so I'll just, I'll just stop. I'll pick it up later, but I'm going to hone in on what's there. What happened a couple days ago was that I'm reading, uh, I transitioned from the end of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is next. I started reading 2 Corinthians 1, and uh, I went, huh. Well, I'm going to read 2. So I read 2, and I thought, well, I better go into 3. I read the whole book. Um, why did I do that? Well, because I had been studying for tonight, and I had been studying Ephesians 6, 13, and as I looked at Ephesians 6, 13, and then as I got immediately into 2 Corinthians, I saw the principles that were taught in 6, 13 in the life of the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. And then I thought, well, you know, in 2, he said, and I just went all the way through, because 2 Corinthians is, is the most autobiographical uh, epistle that Paul ever wrote. You get a glimpse into his life. You get more of a glimpse into his struggle you get a, a glimpse more into his history and what he dealt with and, and, uh, <clears throat> and his battle against the evil one and, and the demonic bureaucrats. It's a fascinating book. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians, but don't go there yet because I want you to notice something. Howard Hendricks, who's an elder in this church, and many of you know him, and many, many of you have heard him preach or teach. Uh, Dr. Hendricks, for years and years, I think, if I'm not mistaken, for 60 years, taught a uh, course at Dallas Seminary called Bible Study Methods. And one of the first things that you learn in Bible Study Methods and studying the Bible, 
there are certain principles that you kick in the gear when you study the Bible. Uh, the first principle is what Dr. Hendricks would call observation. You observe the text. And there, there's a story that probably is a little bit apocryphal now, but it has some real merit to it, that he will give an assignment. He would give an assignment, students would come in, and he would assign you a text. And then you would look at the text, and he said, now, the first principle of Bible study is observation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to observe this text, and it might be just a couple of verses. I want you to observe your text, and then here's your assignment for next week. I want you to read the text. I want you to read these two, three verses. And then what I want you to do is I want you to find 50 principles in those verses. Not 15, not 1-5. I want you to find 5-0. I want you to find 50 principles in those verses. These guys walking out, 50, 50, there aren't, there aren't 50 words in that text. Give me 50 principles. And they get to work, and they start observing, and they start observing, and they start reading, and they start writing it down. All right, what's he say here? And, then, and, and, and see, you know what Dr. Hendricks is doing? He's driving them to the text. Just drive them to the text. He's not entertaining them. He's not pulling up in a new car to get their attention. He's not doing this. He's not doing this. He's just taking them to the text. Find 50 5-0 principles. My gosh, how am I going to find 50? Just keep reading it. Keep looking. Keep observing. They come to class the next week. They got them all typed up. They're 50 principles. He says, give them to me. What do you got? I found this, and I found good. Good job. Good job. What do you have? I got this. I got this. Uh, what do you got back there? Oh, I got this and this. and Oh, those are all good. Those are all excellent. Good job, guys. You're on this thing. But you know what? We need another week. So let's keep working on observation. Here's your assignment for next week. Same passage. Same passage. Go get me 50 more principles. <laughs> They'd come back with 50 more principles. Because you see, they went into the text and they observed the text. That's why we're going a quarter of an inch through Ephesians 6. Because there's a lot of stuff uh, that's here. One of the things that's in 13 is something we could just fly over and miss and skip. In 6.13, I want, you, I want you to see something. You might have missed it the first time around. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. This, this is wild. Those first three verses, all that stuff I gave you in the first three verses, why did I give you those three verses? So you can take up the full armor of God. Watch this. So that, he tells us the purpose. He tells us the point. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Now you know what I want to do tonight? I want us to make some observations about the evil day. Because if you're following Christ, one of the things you're going to find yourselves in is in the evil day. Not all days are evil. We, we, we live in times that are evil. But some days are more evil than others for us personally. You, you should understand that as a believer in Christ, you should understand that as a follower of Christ, you're going to find yourself at particular points in your life, at particular points on your journey, at particular points in your pilgrimage, because we, we are on a pilgrimage, we are on a journey, we are running a race, whatever metaphor you want to use, 
We are going somewhere. We get up every morning and we follow Christ. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. So we're moving. We're, we're, we're going from Egypt to the promised land. And in that journey, some days are more evil than others. What I want you to know and what I want you to be prepared for, and what Paul wants us to know and be prepared for, is that as we are men of God, walking with God, seeking to follow him and be his men, we are going to encounter evil days. And when you encounter those evil days, what do you need? You need to be able to have the stuff so that you can resist in the evil day and stand firm and, get, and not get knocked off your feet. Now, that leads me to 2 Corinthians. Flip over there if you would. The evil day is, the, when he says the evil day, what he's referring to is a time of severe and extraordinary trial. The evil day is a time of, uh, it, 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 it's a time that when we find ourselves in it, we're asking God immediately to get us out of it. That's how you know you're in the evil day. In the goodness of God, we are not always in the evil day. There are periods of rest. There are periods of refreshment. There are periods where we enjoy the favor of God. But that is for a season. If you are not in the evil day right now, thank God for it. But just know this. Uh, you will be going into an evil day. Just thought I'd encourage you tonight. Now, why is that? Well, it's because you're a disciple of Christ. And, and, and you see, the Lord does not want us to remain as children. He wants us to grow up into a mature man. And the way that you become a mature man is through hardship and through difficulty and through struggle. That's how you become a mature man. Uh, so his goal, and Paul said, it's our ambition to present every man mature in Christ. Well, you don't do that by, uh, by an easy life. You don't become mature in Christ by absorbing prosperity theology. You don't become mature in Christ by having your business hit all of its goals every year without exception and exceeding your goals every year. You won't grow in Christ that way. You won't grow in Christ if you never struggle in your marriage. Uh, you won't grow in Christ if your kids always do their lives exactly the way that you want them to do them. You will never grow in Christ. You'll never grow in Christ if your health is always perfect. Yet, see, we got a whole lot of people in the quote-unquote Christian world that tell us that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. It's a heretical gospel. You cannot find it in the Bible. Why is it those guys always preach on the same thing? Why? They don't teach the whole counsel of God. Paul taught the whole counsel of God. His last meeting with the Ephesian elders in Acts 19, he said to them, he said, I'm leaving, I'll see you guys, probably won't see you to heaven, this is it. He said, I didn't, I didn't draw back for a minute on declaring to you the whole counsel of God, the whole stuff, the whole, the whole teaching that the Lord gives and that the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is God a good God? Does he favor us? Does he take care of us? Does he provide for us? Yes. Do we have a pain-free life? No, and don't expect it. This Christian life is a hard life. 
It's how he makes a man out of you. It's how he makes a godly man out of you. So in 1954, Bear Bryant comes to Texas A&M as football coach. They didn't have much of a football team, and they hadn't for a long time. They went and got him because he was a good coach. And a lot of guys were excited about playing for him until he boarded them up, put those guys, he had 111 players, put them on buses, and they headed to a little town called Junction, Texas. You know why they went to Junction, Texas? Because there was nothing there. There was one gas station, there was one little tiny, tiny store. That was it. Old, beat-up World War I training base, Quonset huts, no air conditioning, no field to speak of. Hot as blazes. Put 111 of those guys on buses, went to Junction, Texas, and they had training camp for 10 days. They practiced two, three, four hours at a stretch, no water. You'd break a leg, and you wanted to come out, and he'd look at you like you were a wuss. And he drove those guys without mercy. And 10 days later, that training camp was over. And of the original 111, there were 35 of them left. The rest of them hated his guts. Hated him. Wished, wished they could shoot him. Wish they could tie him upside down by his feet over a fire and roast that sucker to death. Hated his guts. Oh, and the 35 that survived, they hated him too. But as each year went by, they grew to love him more and more and more. And the story is told in the book, The Junction Boys. And years and years and years, 35, 40 years later, when they got together to honor Coach Bryant, they all got up with tears in their eyes and said how much they loved him, how much they appreciated him, how much he had taught them. And nobody had ever been harder on them their entire lives. Isn't that interesting? But he made a man out of Gene Stallings at that camp. He made a man out of Jack Pardee. He made some men. He, he took some boys and he turned them into men. Oh, he'd let them sleep in till 11. And they'd have a nice buffet lunch with an ice sculpture. <laughs> and then they practiced for about 45 minutes, no pads, and then they'd hit the pool. Is that what they did? No. <laughs> he didn't do it that way. Second Corinthians. I want to show you how the evil day works, and I want to show you that in your life, you are going to encounter at least six different evil days. You say, well, I don't want to go through this. Well, you know what? He's not asking you. You don't get a choice. If you're following Christ, when you, when you come to Christ, uh, you belong to him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now, here's the deal. 
He's not going to turn you into a mature man. And he's going to turn me into a mature man, whether we want to go or not. And there's going to be classes he's going to sign us up for that we don't want to take. These are classes you can't take at any seminary because seminaries can't offer these courses. But he will sign you up for these courses. He will put you in the course, and you'll say, I want to drop out of this. I want to, I want to withdraw. You can't withdraw. You're in. You're in the army now. Uh, we're going to look at these six evil days from the life of the Apostle Paul. I would submit to you that depending on how long you've walked with Christ, uh, some of you guys have experienced uh, most of these, some of them. Uh, some of you are new, and you say, well, I'm just a new Christian. You say, man, I, I don't want to hear this. Can I tell you why I'm telling you this? You need to know what you're in for. If you had this idea that you had problems and difficulties and your life was all screwed up before you came to Christ, that's all true. But if someone also told you, if you, if you want relief and if you want uh, your life to become easier, oh, well, then just come to Christ. Now, it is true. He has forgiven you of your sins. And in that sense, you've made peace with God through the shed blood of Christ. And the wrath of God is not aimed at you anymore because Jesus took it on your behalf. But now you're sons, now you're adopted, and now he's going to start the process of growing you. And so you shouldn't be shocked or stunned when it starts getting difficult, when it starts getting tough, when it starts getting hard. And if you listen to the wrong guys on television, on Christian television, and there are good guys on Christian TV, and there are bad guys on Christian TV. So you got to be real discerning. You say, well, how do I tell the difference? I usually start with the hair. Right? Have you noticed how that worked? If they got weird hair, they got weird doctrine. Don't they? You show me a guy with weird hair, and I'll show you a guy who's off-center biblically. All that hairspray gets in there, gums up their brain, their discernment, they get weird, they get, I don't know, just uh, something I've observed. It works. I'm just telling you, it works. So, let's start this. 2 Corinthians 1. I'm going, to give you, uh, I'm going to give you six evil days you're going to encounter. And if I were taking notes, I might just write on the top, stand firm in, and then I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six. So stand firm in. Here's number one. Stand firm in the evil day of overwhelming suffering. Stand firm in the day of overwhelming suffering. If you look at 2 Corinthians right out of the block, God takes this type A personality, this strong leader, this man with this massive intellect, great gifts, who he's going to use to build the body of Christ. Oh, by the way, you remember how Paul came to Christ? He hated Christ. And he hated the followers of Christ. And he made it his full-time job to destroy the gospel of Christ and to destroy the people of Christ. And then Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said, here's how it's going to be from now on. Jesus didn't ask him if he wanted to join. 
if you look at the text. Jesus told him what was going to happen and what he was going to do. Jesus just came in and took over. When uh, my son John was going through his rough period of rebellion, and I mean, I refer to that. I have permission from John to share this stuff with you. Uh, and I'm glad I do. And God's done a great work in John's life. And he's getting married in a couple months. And, um, and I'm just praising God that I'm not paying for that wedding. <laughs> but uh, he's getting, John's doing great. But, you know, he had that period of time where he wasn't doing well. He wasn't doing well at all. He was hard-headed. He knew the truth. And I raised him differently. He, 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 wrong people, wrong friends, wrong choices. Wrong. And I'd walk around. I'd just go walk. And you know how I'd pray? I'd say, Lord, Lord, violate his free will. Just bulldoze it. I don't care. Just hammer it. Just bring him to you. I'd say, well, well can, can you pray that? I prayed it. Because, see, if I knew it was up to John, he wouldn't come. Just like if it was up to me, I wouldn't come. Just like if it were up to you, you wouldn't come. Oh, well, people will come on their own. No, they won't. Psalm 14, there is no one who seeks God. That's in the Bible. Well, that's not very hip. That's not very contemporary. I don't know if that'll preach. It'll preach. They may not like it, but it'll preach. Psalm 14, God has looked over all the sons of men. There is no one who seeks him. There is no one who does good. So we love him because he first loved us. Jesus said, you have not chosen me. See, 99% of us in here go, oh, I chose Christ. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you might go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit might remain. We still have got some stuff to learn, guys. You see? So what do you do? You look at the text and see what it says. So this strong-willed man had an appointment with Christ, and Christ appointed him and said, here's what you're going to do. So he starts a process, he starts a journey, just like you're on a journey, just like I'm on a journey. <clears throat> what do we hear? The evil day of overwhelming uh, suffering? Note verse 8 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. So he's very specific doesn't go into a lot of de detail. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of a particular affliction that hit me in Asia. And he doesn't say this, but on a particular day. Okay, now watch this. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Have you heard uh, someone say to you, God will never give you more than you can handle? You ever heard that? God gave him more than he could handle. Uh, once again, if you observe the text. I mean, let's observe it. What, is he, what did he say? He says that we were burdened excessively. Oh, well, he was burdened excessively. Yeah, but then he says beyond our strength. So obviously, God gave him more than he could handle because he was burdened beyond his strength. Now, here's the good news. If God burdens you beyond your strength, God will give you more strength. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. He's always giving fresh supplies. He's always giving you what you need when you need it. And you may not have it 10 seconds before you need it, but you'll have it 10 seconds later when you need it. That's how God works. That's how he operates. But what I want you to, what I want you to note here 
is that this was a time in his life of overwhelming stress, <clears throat> overwhelming suffering. He says, I, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Watch this. So that we despaired even of life. I remember reading that when I was 31. It encouraged me that Paul wanted to die because that's how I was that day. I wanted to die. My, my life had fallen apart to such a degree. I, I was three years into my first church, and I was burned out. I was worn out. I was exhausted. I, it wasn't going the way I thought it should have gone. And I was depressed, and I was crying, and I was... Um, and I'm sure I had read this verse before, but I'd never noticed it. But when I read that, it encouraged me. You mean Paul felt like the way I feel? Paul felt like I feel? See, when he says burdened excessively beyond our strength, uh, you, you know what he's saying here? He's saying that he was, uh, he was completely exhausted. He was exhausted physically. He was exhausted mentally. He was exhausted emotionally. Spiritual, whatever, whatever way you want to come up with. He was complete. See, he, he says, it was beyond my strength. He was done. He was toast. He was metal on metal. There was nothing left. He wasn't on fumes. The fumes were gone. Now, if you haven't been there, you will be. One day. Say, so why do you say that? Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You say, that kind of scares me. Well, join the club. Who, who wants to go through this? Nobody. But you see, we have a loving father who knows precisely what we need. If, if you're a good father and all you do is give to your kids, you're a poor father. There is a time when you Give, and there is a time when you take away. There is a time when you reward, and there is a time when you discipline. If you're always um, making a way for your kids, if you're always going before them and talking to the right people and setting up jobs and doing this and this, and if the teacher gives them a bad test and the kid's in graduate school and he's 29 years old and you call up the teacher, you're not a good father. Or something happens to him in his first job and it's, just, it's unfair and you go down there to talk, you're going to make him look like an idiot. But we've gotten so screwed up, those kind of things happen in this day and age. See, you've got to let them get hurt a little bit. You've got to let them take some knots. You've got to let them take some shots. That's how you grow up, that's how you become a man. And you need to let them know it's going to come before it comes. You're going to get out there, and it's not all going to go your way. And there are going to be times when the storms are going to roll in, and you're going to get pummeled. You need to let them. You need to prepare them for reality. That's what's happening here. There will be a point where you are burdened excessively beyond your strength, and that will be an evil day for you. Now, when that comes, how do you keep that from blowing you away? Well, you go back to Ephesians six. The way that you keep that from blowing you away and destroying your faith is that you have been 6'10", strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the strategies of the devil to tell you in the midst of your suffering that God doesn't love you, that God isn't good, that God has forgotten about you, that God doesn't care about you. That's what we talked about last week when he pulls a reverse wrestling move on you 
and he gets you angry, not at him, at the devil. He gets you mad at God and gets you questioning God. See, the thing that helps us withstand the evil day is the truth about who God is. Now, I can't linger. Let's go to number two. Number two, you must stand firm in the evil day of losing heart. Of losing heart. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. See, when you lose heart, what happens to you? You lose courage. If you see somebody do something with their whole heart, it's refreshing. They put everything they have into it. They're excited. They're motivated. They give it, um, they give it 110%. Boy, that's, that's just fun to watch, isn't it? it it's, it's fun to watch somebody that's not holding back, that doesn't have one foot on the brake. It's fun to watch somebody tackle a task and give it everything they've got. They put their, they put their heart into it. But what's the opposite of that? Well, they lose heart. They lose motivation. They become fearful. They become anxious. They become afraid of making a mistake, or they just don't care. But see, that happens as you go through the rough stuff of life, following Christ, and you have the, the demonic bureaucrats that are just trying to distract you and discourage you in a, a number of different ways. Uh, Wayne Grudem is a theologian, a friend, sends out some emails and uh, Wayne wouldn't mind me sharing this, but it illustrates the point. He was just this last week speaking at a church, was trying to get back to Phoenix. It was preaching on Sunday night, trying to get back to teach a course at Phoenix Seminary later that afternoon. Um, got to the airport early in Little Rock Saturday morning, uh, Sunday morning. There was an immediate problem with the plane, delayed that. Wasn't sure they were going to make, barely got into Dallas. Uh, they were able to get them on a flight, but then that flight was stuck on the tarmac. And then there was another problem that went on, and then it was just, and he had a very important class to teach. And, and Wayne said in the email, he said, you know, we have to be careful about this, but I must say to you that even in the details of trying to get home, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I believed it was a type of attack to distract me from the work that God had me to do that afternoon, to get me frustrated, to get me angry, to get my mind off my focus. I wasn't making a big deal out of it. He was just acknowledging the fact that sometimes in the details there's more to it than we would just see. I would agree with him. If you want to know why he was struggling about losing heart, he says, we do not lose heart. Go down to verse 8. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure this, you're sitting here and saying, you know, Steve, this really is, I, I don't get this. This doesn't apply to me. Um, I just don't struggle. Is that you? It's not you. Everybody struggles. Everybody's got their stuff. Watch, watch how honest Paul is here. He says, we do not lose heart. Well, he had every reason to lose heart. Look at verse uh, 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Once again, you could blow right by this. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way. 
There, there will be a time in your life, in the evil day, when basically you look around and pretty much every area of your life that you can identify, you are afflicted in. So I got two emails this week, and on both of them, I was, uh, I didn't respond. I've been waiting to respond, because in both situations, there's such great affliction, I needed the wisdom of God before I responded. And I don't quite have it yet. So I haven't responded. Those are very, very difficult. The, 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 two individuals that are afflicted pretty much in every way. Now, when you're afflicted in every way, when you're looking at your marriage, and you're looking at your health, and you're looking at this, and your finances, you, you know what happens? You lose heart. You lose heart. What does he say? He said, we are afflicted in every way. Watch this. But not crushed. Why is he not crushed? I will tell you, I believe the reason he is not crushed is that he is aware of the strategies of the devil in Ephesians 6. The reason he is not crushed, and does he go in and delineate it here? No, but Scripture interprets Scripture. The reason that he is not crushed when other people would be crushed is that he is fighting this battle with the weapons of spiritual warfare. He knows he's in a battle. He knows he's in a fight. He then goes on, he says, we're perplexed but not despairing. Sometimes in the Christian life, when you're in the evil day and everything goes against you, and I might have said this last week, and I'll say it again. Some, th th there have been times in my life when I felt like the Lord was against me. I felt like a quarterback who would take the snap. Did I say this last week? I would take the snap from center. You're saying I did say it. This guy's saying I didn't say it. This is very interesting. <laughs> so we know who was asleep last week. Anyway. Sometimes I feel like a quarterback. I'd take the snap. I'd go back. And my lineman would turn around and come after me. You ever felt that way? Say, Lord, what are you doing? I'm not for you. I'm, I'm not against you. I'm for you. Well, it's like you're against me. It's like you're coming after me. Look at my jersey. Yay, God. Yay, Jesus. I'm on your team. Why are you hammering me like this? I am perplexed about this. You ever get perplexed? Sure you do. He was perplexed. He doesn't say he's not perplexed. He says, I am perplexed. Watch this. But I'm not forsaken. Why? He knew the word of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Well, it sure seems like you have. Yes, it does. Lord, it seems like you have left me. But you haven't left me. That's the truth. It may feel that way, but the truth is, you haven't left me. Persecuted. Ah, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why not? Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Uh, Spurgeon said, Spurgeon once said, C.H. Spurgeon once said, the man who dies daily dies easily. When you're on your deathbed, it's a great test of faith what you believe. But if you're used to dying daily to yourself, to your desires, to your wants, to your plans. Paul said, I die daily. If you're used to dying daily and submitting to Christ and then letting him resurrect you to do his plan and his work in your life, well, then you'll die easily because you're in the habit of dying. 
You see, we go through this stuff, the evil age. We learn to die to our own desires and plans that we hold on to so tightly. I'm going to get this done come hell or high water. Well, is that what he wants? Or is that what you want? Um, number three, stand firm in the evil day of depression. In the evil day of depression, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Note if you would, verse 5. Now here's an evil day. He marks it. He says, for even when we came into Macedonia, he came into Macedonia on a certain day. Did he not? Yes, he did. Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Now watch this. For we were afflicted on every side. There it is again. And not only is he afflicted on every side, but watch this. Conflicts without, fears within. Hmm. This is the Apostle Paul. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us with the coming of Titus. Most men in their lives at some point are going to go through a time of pretty severe depression. Well, I say severe. Uh, let's say significant depression. If you've never been through depression before, any depression is significant. There are levels of depression. When I went through that depression in my early 30s, it took me two and a half, three years to come out of, and I had periods where I'd cry three to four hours a day. I probably told you about my friend who was the biblical counselor who told me I had a moderate depression. I about hit him in the mouth. <laughs> he said, moderate? What do you talk? What do you mean moderate? I'm crying three to four hours a day. What the heck are you talking about moderate? I can't even pour apple juice without crying and spilling it. What do you mean moderate? There's nothing moderate about this thing. And he said, well, you know, another symptom of depression is anger. He explained to me, he said, well, did you, what did you do this morning? I said, well, I, I, what do you mean what did I do? He said, what did you do? I said, well, I woke up, I got out of bed, I got some coffee. He said, well, you got out of bed. That's why it's a moderate depression. Because I've got people that can't get out of bed. I, I've got people that haven't been out of bed in four or five years. I said, really? He said, you're moderate, Steve. It's not a, you've never been here before, and so it's really scaring you. But... You're going to get out of this. Really. Yeah, you're going to get out of this. And I did. And if you're there, you're going to get out of it. He's just building muscle in your life. He's just turning you into a mature man. He said, I've never been this screwed up before in my life. Good. But now he's doing the deep work. This isn't external stuff. This is down deep heart stuff. This is soul stuff. Okay. Uh, depression for most guys, let me just say this quickly. Uh, sometimes depression is for a physical, physiological reason. Uh, when you guys in your 50s start going through menopause, you're probably going to have some mood swings. Now, you're not probably going to go through menopause. But, uh, oh, you know what's interesting? As a male, you can have testosterone drop. 
And it's kind of male menopause. Did you know that? And you can get weird. <laughs> Just because you don't have any testosterone and you're starving for it. You see, it happens to guys. Okay, so that's a physiological reason. But for a lot of guys, depression that hits them, depression, here's the root cause of depression. It's loss, L-O-S-S. When you have a significant loss in your life, you're going to go through some kind of depression. It might be the loss of, uh, of stature. It might be the loss of reputation. It might be the loss of a position, position in your place of work. It might be a loss of uh, uh, economic status because you have taken a hit financially, lost your business, declared bankruptcy. It could be a 100,000 different things where you experience loss. And when you experience loss, you are going to get depressed. That is an evil day for a man. That is a hard day. Because when you start having things taken away, see, the Lord gives and the Lord, ah, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, we love it when God gives. We love it when God prospers. We love it when God blesses. We love it when all the deals go through, when we hit those forecasts. We love it when everything's hitting on all cylinders. But man, when it's taken away, what happens? We begin to question the goodness of God. Big time. And this is where the enemy comes in, in the test, as we said last week. He will try to pull the reversal on you and get your focus and your anger at God. And so how do you avert that? You avert that by Ephesians 6, fighting off the enemy and his attacks, which come into the mind, by fighting it off with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. You've got to know the Word to fight this stuff off. To fight off all these wrong thoughts in the evil day, you have got to know the Word of God. You can't feed on cotton candy and go into a battle in Afghanistan in the mountains against the Taliban. You're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it on cotton candy and, and M&Ms and snickerdoodles. You're going to need some protein. You're going to need to stay hydrated. You will, you will make it, man. You have got to know the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the Christian church, we offer entertainment. We offer gimmicks. We, we offer all kinds of nonsense. How about the Word of God? I agree with David Wells. David Wells is a great thinker, great theologian. You know what Wells basically says in three books that he's written? He says pretty much for the church, you know what? We don't believe that the Word of God can change lives. And he's pretty much right. we we got publishing houses producing stuff where some guy who's hip and cool and, you know, really with it and Twitters and... Jesus talked about hell twice as much as he talked about heaven. And he's basically going into universalism, saying, hey, you know, everybody's going to be saved. God wouldn't do that. Everybody's going to be saved. Because love, love trumps everything, or whatever the heck he says. Well, if love trumps everything and there's no hell, 
then why the hell don't you go live like hell? Why would you need a Savior? Why would you need Christ? Why would Jesus need to... Very hip, very cool, very together, very Twitterish. It's a crock. What did we talk about last week? Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, we did this and this and this in your name. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I'm not judging his heart because I don't know his heart. I'm just saying Jesus said this kind of stuff would happen. Now, once again, I just want everybody to like me. It's very important to me. Follow me on Twitter. See, which takes me to the next one. You guys still with me? Okay. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. This is... Uh, this is we are to stand firm in the evil day of wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. 2 Corinthians 10. Note verse 3. Paul says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's spiritual warfare. That's Ephesians 6. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Watch this. We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, watch this, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The battlefield is the mind. And the enemy will shoot these arrows across us. Well, you know, you can't trust God. But how could God be a God of goodness when he does this? How could, and it's always questioning God. It's always putting God on the witness stand and we cross-examine God. You want to be very careful of cross-examining God. Who are you, you little twerp? And I say that corporately to me as well. Who are we to question God? See, we don't, we, we, we don't know who God is. How, how presumptuous. What, I mean, you know, God pretty much uh, put Job in his place in, in Job 38. But we got young Christians, we got a lot of young pastors with young congregations, and they, don't, they couldn't even tell you where the book of Job is because they've never been taught it. You see? Well, they've done this, and they got this, and they got this. And if it sounds like I'm some old school guy, I am. In the sense, I, I hope, I, I would, uh, listen. <laughs> stick to the ancient paths, stick to the ancient boundaries, and teach the Word of God. That's what you teach. doesn't mean that we're weird or we're a bunch of, you know, old weasels or something like that. But just teach the truth. Do you believe this stuff? See, what, what's the enemy going to try to do in the evil day? What's he going to do in your life in the evil day and my day? When you read biographies of the great saints, you know what's amazing about some of the great people that walk with God? On their deathbeds, the enemy was playing with their minds, trying to get them to doubt the reality of Christ. Because he never quits. He just doesn't quit. So we got to watch our thoughts. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You got to tackle those wrong thoughts. You got to kick them in the 
hoorahs. And you gotta, you gotta hit them in the mouth and you gotta capture them and get them on the ground and beat them. But if you don't have the word of God, you've got nothing to fight with. Okay. So once again, guys, when you're in the evil day, see, the temptation, here's what the temptation is. You get so frustrated, you close your Bible. Don't ever close your Bible. Don't ever do it. Keep it open. Lord, I, I, I need to hear from you, Lord. I need a word from you. Oh, well, then go listen to this guy on TBN. You don't need that. Oh, I got a word from the Lord. Oh, I got a word from the Lord right here, pal. Right here. There's a word from the Lord. Now, sometimes somebody will share something with me and it rings true because you know what? They're giving me a scriptural principle. I thank you for that. Well, I've got a word. I've got a word. This is the word. This is the word of God. And any word I get, I test according to this word. But I live off this word. This is my, <laughs> this has got the protein. It's got the, it's got the, the vitamins. It's got the minerals. It's got the antioxidants. A, E, C. Chromium, potassium, selenium, it's all in here. You can't live without it. You can't survive in the evil day without the word of God because he's going to mess with your mind. All right, real quickly. Number, I've got two more. Stand firm. Uh, hey, listen. There are guys in here right now that are in the evil day. They're under incredible pressure. They're under incredible suffering. They are afflicted in every way, and they are just simply trying to hang on for another day the truth of the matter. Not everybody, but a lot of guys. Number five, stand firm in the evil day of repeated suffering. Repeated suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul is having to defend his apostleship. These yo-yos are coming after him and saying he's not even a real apostle. Paul doesn't normally defend himself, but in 11.23, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as insane. I more so. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch him, watch him delineate the evil days that he has been through repeatedly. Are they servants of Christ? I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments. How many times have you been in prison for the sake of Christ? Okay, well, he'd been there multiple times. Beaten times without number. How many times have you been beaten up for Christ? Paul had been beaten up so many times, he couldn't even remember. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know why they didn't give you 40? Because 40 would kill you. Paul took off a shirt at night. His back looked like raw hamburger. Looked like ground, round. Paul couldn't sleep on his back. Because five times he got 39 lashes. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Take heavy boulders, pile them on. You know what? Uh, broken bones, eternal bleeding. All for the sake of Christ. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journey. If I was to title this section of Scripture, I would call it your best life now. Funny, I never hear those guys teach this passage. At least I haven't heard What are they going to do with it? Not a lot of prosperity here. 
I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst. How many times have you gotten hungry? In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. That is, repeated suffering. And you say, I read that and I go, how the heck could he take so much? You know how he could take so much? Every episode of suffering, every episode of severe trial, every episode of being in the day of evil, every episode, you know what it did? It built endurance. James 1, you guys that are suffering, hear this. Count it all joy, my brethren. doesn't say feel it as joy. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Watch this. Knowing. Knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how is it that I can finish strong in the Christian life? How could Paul keep going? How could he keep going? How could he keep? Because he had endurance. Well, how the heck do you get endurance? By suffering. Every time he was beaten, it was another layer of endurance for the next one. For the next one. If you've never suffered, <laughs> if you've never labored around a high school track, you're never going to finish a marathon. See, this is why you're suffering. God's got a plan. God wants to use you. God has a work for you to do. You're not suffering randomly. You're not suffering by chance. Your suffering is purposeful. And your suffering, these episodes of suffering, these evil days, have a beginning, they have a middle, and they have an end, and God is sovereign over those things. And when you're in it, just simply say this. Say, Lord Jesus, let me learn the lessons you have for me in this evil day. Let me grow, let me learn, don't let me fight, don't let me be stubborn. Have a teachable heart. The last one. Stand firm in the evil day of crippling weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was caught up into heaven. He says in verse 4, I saw things of which a man is not permitted to speak. It's interesting in the evangelical world, we always have guys that have gone to heaven, seen a bunch of things, they come back and they speak about it. And they write about it, and that's their career for 20 years. I've always thought that interesting because Paul said, I know Paul went, and Paul said, I can't speak about it. So if I'm going with you or I'm going with Paul, I'm going with Paul. All right, but watch this, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself. Hey, if you went to heaven and came back and nobody had ever been there, how would you feel? Very proud. Because you're pretty special. And now watch this, watch what God does. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said, this is wild, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Is that strange or what? So three times he asked God, whatever the affliction was, we don't know. Three times he asked God to heal him. And God says, well, I'd heal you, but you don't have enough faith. Isn't that what it says? 
No, but you hear that all the time, don't you? Oh, you just don't have enough faith. Well, it's God's will that we all be healed. It's in the atonement. Really? God didn't heal him, and he was an apostle. Read the text, man. What does it say? Read the whole counsel of God. He, he had this affliction, a thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked the Lord, and the Lord said, no, for my power is perfected in weakness. You know what we think, guys? We think in order to be used by God, we think we've got to be strong. You know what God does? God takes strong men, he makes them suffer, he makes them weak, and then he uses them. See, we, th we want to be strong so that we can be used strongly. What he does is what we don't want him to do. He makes us weak. He will break your heart. A wife may leave. A business may just absolutely blow up. A kid may get on drugs and die. I don't know. It'll break your heart. And you think you're done, and you think you're finished. Because you were so weak, you can't even move. And now the resurrection power is going to flow. I don't have time to read this quote from Charles Fuller. Old doctor, if you're an old guy, you remember the old-fashioned revival hour. Every morning on the way to church, my dad would turn on Charles Fuller and the old-fashioned revival hour. Rudy Atwood did the music from the Long Beach Auditorium. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, filling my soul with glory divine. I've heard that every Sunday since I was three years old. Then I go to Sunday school, then I go to church. I got three sermons every Sunday. Then we go back Sunday night, and then we were there Wednesday night. I'm grateful for it. I got two columns from David Jeremiah on the suffering that Charles Fuller went through as he was starting his radio ministry. And you read it, and it almost breaks your heart. And he, I'll just give you one shot. He said he would get on the microphone after sleepless nights and be so burdened and cast down, I did not whether I could preach, whether if I opened my mouth the words would even come out. And God used him all over the world. He was a strong man, he was a brilliant man, but God made him weak so that he could use him. That's why you feel so weak. He's going to use you. It's the normal Christian life. And it won't always be this way, but it's this way for a season. So trust him and yield and learn the lessons. We thank you, Father, that you are our Father and you can be trusted. Thanks for these guys. Come out in the middle of a busy week to hear from you and your word. I pray that we take everything that's been said, and we match it to the Word of God to see if it fits, and if it doesn't, we discard it. Lord, make us strong. Help us to fight off. Help us to fight off the strategies of the devil that would turn our minds against you, that would turn our hearts against you out of bitterness, out of anger. Help us to stand firm, therefore, and fight the attacks of the enemy in our mind that tell us you cannot be trusted. We commit our whole lives to you, and we entrust our futures to you. And we trust that you will do the work that needs to be done, and then you will use us. 
for that's the desire of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.